Welcome to another episode of Gospel Eyes with Greg Steer. Thanks so much for joining us this month. I want to encourage you, if this is your first time or you just happen to come upon this episode, check us out on your podcast platform. Make sure you subscribe uh, to this series so that you can tune in with us every month. Uh, we're living in some extraordinarily difficult times in the summer of 2020. Uh, we're still in the midst of a global health pandemic with the coronavirus. Here in the United States, racial tensions uh, continue to heat up and, and have no sign of, of slowing down. And our students are facing a lot of stressors of how to live a life that honors Christ in the midst of crisis and struggle and turmoil. And so this message from Greg out of 2 Corinthians 1 is a timely message. It will help us as youth leaders lead our students well and how to have a gospel and kingdom-minded response. Here's Greg. Have you ever just had a bad day? I remember when I was six years old, I had a bad day. Uh, I was running through my grandmother's house, and she said, stop running. And I go, what? And I went through a window, crashed through the window. I'll never forget hanging over that window, looking at my brother at the por on the porch. Uh, and he looked up at me, and he goes, you're in trouble. And I was in trouble because I cut a vein on my wrist. I cut this wrist up. My hands were all bloodied, and my grandmother freaked out, rightfully so, because I was bleeding everywhere. She took white, two white towels, wrapped my uh, wrist and hands in them, carted all us kids, because she was a babysitter at the time, into her car. She was so nervous that she could not find the ignition for the key, you know, the, the ignition hole for, the, for her key. She was so nervous. And I remember thinking to myself, this is not good, right? This is a bad Day. I'll tell you a little bit later what happened, but I want to tell you this, America right now, the world right now, we're having a bad day. This is a tough time. All of us know that this pandemic, this unprecedented pandemic, something this bad has not happened to the world since 1918 and the Spanish flu epidemic where 50 to 100 million people were killed. And now 102 years later, the whole world is on lockdown because of the coronavirus. Not just that, there's an anxiety pandemic. I mean, students, teenagers that struggle already with anxiety and depression, everything's getting ratcheted up as a result of this. A Pew Research Center survey conducted in late March found that people, starting at the age of 18, young people, more than any other group is likely to experience high psychological distress as a result of this outbreak. Dr. Harold Koppelwitz, he's an adolescent psychiatrist and president of the Child Mind Institute, said this about high school, uh, high school students. They're stressed now because of the lack of, lack of structure at school, missing big chunks of their lives, whether it's dating, graduation, prom, classes, and, and there's worry about their parents' finances, and there's worry about everyone's health. High schoolers today are struggling. They're struggling with questions like, am I going to be able to get a job? Are my parents going to be able to keep uh, theirs? High school seniors, am I going to be able to go to college in the fall? Or what if I get sick? Or when will all this social distancing end? And when will life go back to normal? So there's, there's an epidemic of the coronavirus. There's an epidemic among teenagers especially uh, of anxiety. There's an anger epidemic. Uh, you take a look at the protests and the riots 
that it happened in light of the George Floyd murder. And you can see why so many people are angry. Uh, there's Black Lives Matter anger. There's All Lives Matter anger. Uh, there's Blue Lives Matter anger. There's anger everywhere in every form. People are upset. And as a result, there's a confusion pandemic. Uh, there's a confusion of how we as the church are supposed to respond to the coronavirus, to protest, to anger, to depression. And maybe there's a confusion epidemic in your youth ministry like, man, I don't know, how am I supposed to minister to my kids? How do I equip my teenagers in light of this coronavirus, in light of these protests, in light of the anger? How do I equip them on Zoom? Or maybe we're in a youth group, but we're all six feet apart. How do we do this? Or maybe the confusion is how do I do youth ministry with no youth ministry budget? Because maybe you're one of the many churches that budgets, your budgets have been slashed. And sadly, youth ministry is often the first budget to get cut when offerings go low. So maybe there's this confusion in your heart. But I want to tell you, it's in the midst of crisis that Christ shows up. God wants to use this crisis to do a great work in you and through you. And that's the passage we're going to talk about today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, I'm going to break it to pieces, and we're going to talk about these truths that can give you comfort at this time and get you through this crisis so you come out stronger. So there's three points we're going to cover. Number one, God gives us great comfort in the midst of our great hardships so that we can provide great comfort to others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. I love the fact that he calls himself the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort, comfort we ourselves receive from God. The God of all comfort comforts us so that we can comfort others. And in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of these protests, in the midst of this confusion, God, we need to allow God to comfort our hearts so that we can comfort others. Now that word comfort uh, is a word that brings up certain thoughts. You may think of a counselor. You may think of an encourager. You may think of a therapist. But here's some thoughts about the word comfort from Pastor David Guzik. He said the words all comfort in this passage come from the ancient Greek word periklesis. The idea behind this word for comfort in the New Testament is always more than soothing sympathy, more than that. It has the idea of strengthening, of helping, of making strong. The idea behind this word is communicated by the Latin word for comfort, which is fortis, which also means brave. So this word is different than therapist or counselor. Think more personal trainer. This is the idea behind this word comfort. So I don't know if you have ever worked out in a gym, but when you go to a gym, you'll often see uh, bench presses. And when you uh, bench press, you lay on a flat bench. You take a bar with some weights on it, and you put it, as you lay down on it, you bring it down to your chest, and you push up, right? So when you do this, especially with heavier weights, 
you want somebody who's a spotter because it, things can go bad when you're bench pressing by yourself. I remember when I was 16 years old, I was in a gym and I was working out and I decided to max out. That means you're going to put the most amount of weight you've ever done before and try to press it. I did not have a spotter. I did not have somebody helping me along. And I forgot to put the clasps on the end that keeps the weight on. And I had a bad tendency when I bench press to push my right arm up first and then my left arm, right? And you know what happened? I pushed my right arm up first, all the weights fell off that side, and it became like a catapult. It flung me across the room. I ended up five feet away, upside down against the wall, right? I needed a spotter. Now, what is a spotter? A spotter is someone who stands over you while you're bench pressing, and they encourage you. They say, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. They put their hands underneath the bar just in case you give out. They can hold you back up. And if you almost can't do it, they'll give you just enough push to where you can max out. That's what a spotter does. That's the idea of comforting. Think of a spotter, somebody who's challenging. You can do this. They're infusing bravery and courage into your soul. And if you can't, you get right to that max. They help you just enough so that you can have maximum strength. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is called our comforter. He is called our comforter. The Holy Spirit in John 15, 26, Jesus said, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That word helper is the Greek word paraclete. Again, comfort, paraclesis, uh, helper, paraclete, strengthener, comforter, spotter. The Holy Spirit is spotting us. He's encouraging us. He's infusing bravery. Again, this is more than soothing sympathy. It's infusing courage into someone's soul. And the Spirit of God does that with us, and we need to do that with our students. We need to help infuse courage into their souls, specifically at this time. Now, there are two late ladies that work here at Dare to Share. Uh, one's named Raylan, and one's named Emily. And I have a 15-year-old daughter, Kaylee, and both of them have poured their lives into my daughter, Kaylee. They comfort her. They encourage her. They challenge her. Uh, they were having a Zoom, Emily and Kaylee were having a Zoom meeting the other day. And I literally, as I walked by, I could hear Emily spotting uh, Kaylee, encouraging her. You can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. God can help you through this. That's the role that we have as youth leaders with our students because discipleship is more than the transference of information from my mind or your mind to someone else's mind. It is the infusion of courage to obey God's commandments. It's strengthening. It's helping to make them strong. We're comforted by God, the God of all comfort, and we comfort our staff, we comfort our family, and we comfort our students. Secondly, God allows us to go through great hardships outwardly that produce great pressure internally so they can produce great faith upwardly. Again, 2 Corinthians 1, we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you great patience and endurance 
of the same sufferings we, uh, it, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened, that we might rely on ourselves, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. Here's where Paul is making it clear. I tell you, that great hardships that we, that, that we suffered outwardly, that great pressure that we felt internally, built a great faith that we express upwardly. Our external hardships help us experience the suffering of Christ. Verse 8 for just as we share abundantly in the suffering of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And that sounds weird. We experience the sufferings of Christ. That suffering. We get a taste of the sufferings of Christ so we can experience the comfort of Christ. This suffering sanctifies our souls. There's something about suffering that purifies you know, if you are uh, cleaning dishes and you have pots and pans that have baked in food on them and you take steel wool and you put some soap in there and hot water and you begin to scrub and scrub and scrub, you have to apply pressure to get all that gunk out of there and water, you keep pouring it in and you keep scrubbing, using all your might and strength and finally over the course of time, it becomes clean. But it takes, it takes that abrasion. It takes in a sense that suffering, right? And in the same way, when we go through suffering, we are being cleansed by God. First Peter 4, 1 and 2, says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their lives uh, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So whatever suffering you're going through right now, whatever suffering your students are going through, whatever suffering your staff is going through, God is using that to cleanse us from sin, to purify us and make us more fit for his use. I, I'm convinced that this suffering that we're experiencing as a church, as a result of this pandemic, uh, as a result of the, the, this anger, all this stuff that's going on in America today and around the world, but all the suffering that church is feeling as a result, I believe God's using that to cleanse us from sin and purify us and make us more like his dear son. So the suffering uh, not, not only does the suffering sanctify our soul, it demonstrates the gospel. Colossians 1, 23 and 24. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. And in a sense, when we suffer and when we suffer well with a good attitude, we become a living expression of the gospel. Because what did Jesus do on the cross? He suffered patiently. He did not retaliate. I find it interesting 
If you look at the thieves on the cross, in Matthew 27, 44, both thieves on the cross, they hurled insults at Jesus. So think of a thief on this side and a thief on this side. They're both hurling insults at Jesus at the beginning of their crucifixion. But at the end, Luke 23, 39 through 43, one of them ends up believing in Jesus. And Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. And although the scripture doesn't say this, I think it's very clearly implied what converted the thief, that one thief, was watching Jesus suffer patiently, enduring on the cross. And when the world watches us and the way we respond to crisis, I believe that is a living witness. We've heard again and again, 1 Peter 3.15, talked about that, that, that we have a reason. When people ask you the reason for the hope that is in you, uh, what, what do we express? We point them to Jesus. And that reason, of the hope that we have in us is in the midst of suffering. Paul had patience. He suffered. And his suffering was a witness to a watching world. Jesus patiently suffered on the cross. And that witness was transformative to one of the thieves on the cross. And when you suffer patiently, God is going to use that as a living witness. God uses our suffering to demonstrate the gospel. God uses our suffering to sanctify our soul. And that, that suffering and that turns into pressure, that internal pressure that helps us live in utter dependence on Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, we don't exactly know what Paul endured. He doesn't clearly identify what suffering it was, but whatever it was, he calls it a sentence of death. He and his crew thought they were going to die. They were convinced this was it. And maybe you feel that sense of death in your soul. Maybe you feel it because of your ability to minister to teens during COVID-19. Maybe you feel the death of your youth ministry budget like we talked about earlier. Maybe it's the death of a dream. Maybe you had a vision of youth ministry that's just not panning out the way that you envisioned it. But God uses all of this to increase our reliance on him. Look again at the words of 2 Corinthians 1.9. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. All the stuff we're suffering, God is using to make us fully reliant on him. As bad as this, this pandemic is, as bad as this economy is, as bad as these protests are and the pain and the anger that people are feeling, as bad as all this stuff may be around us and the anger that is just surrounding this country and this, this world, God uses that to make us fully dependent and reliant on Him in the midst of the pain. He makes us pray. I thank God for the struggles we've gone through and we're going through at Dare to Share. You know, in the midst of all this stuff, we've been able to re-identify our values. And the first value that we have re-identified 
and clarified and articulated is pray fiercely. Because when you have these struggles, when you have these pains, you begin to pray with a fierceness and intentionality, and it makes you fully reliant on him. God uses great hardships outwardly to create great pressure inwardly that builds, us in, builds in us a great faith upwardly. He makes us rely on him. And finally, God uses our great faith in him to leverage a great movement for him. 2 Corinthians 1, 10 and 11. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers, that many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. On him we have set our hope. God uses our great faith to leverage a great movement for him. What happened to Paul as a result of all the struggles? He put his faith in God. What happened to the Corinthians? They put their faith in God. They prayed for Paul. They prayed for the movement. And God triggered that movement all over the early world because of the prayers of many and because of the faith of many. I believe God is building in us a stronger faith as a result of all these trials. It's a leverage. Archimedes once said, give me a lever and a place to stand and I will move the earth. Do you know what a lever is? You know a lever is in all sorts of tools, right? This is, this is a nail bar, right? And you put a nail right there in that hole and you lift it up. You use leverage to lift it up. And a nail you normally couldn't pull out, you can pull up with, with a nail bar. You can do the same thing with a claw hammer. Just put the nail right in there and use this lever and you crank it up and the nail comes out. A nail you normally couldn't pull. Or maybe there's a nut and a bolt that you couldn't normally get out. You just take one of these wrenches, you put it on there, and boom, you, 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 you break that strength of that, that nut and that bolt, and all of a sudden, something you could no, normally never do by hand, by yourself, you can do with leverage. You know what faith is? Faith is leverage. And the longer this, this handle is, the more leverage you end up having. In the same way, the bigger your faith is in God. The stronger your faith is in, in God, the more leverage you have in the heavenlies when you pray. And I believe what God is doing is he is lengthening our faith. He's strengthening our faith through all of these challenges. He's using crisis to make us dependent on him because we need wisdom. We need wisdom now. And so what the Bible says in Galatians, uh, James 1, 5, and 6, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all people and it will be given, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering, for he who wavers is like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. So God wants us to ask for wisdom in faith, and we get that divine leverage when we do that. And, and God wants us to ask for provision, because maybe our church is struggling on a budget level. We, we, we ask for his provision, and he provides, and he's using these crises to make us even more dependent on him. He's lengthening and strengthening our faith, which becomes that leverage when we pray. So in that sense, we need to rejoice over the crisis that we're in. Why? Because God is comforting us. The God of all comfort is comforting us in the midst of these pains so we can comfort our teenagers. Not only that, but that great pressure, that great hardships that we're experiencing outwardly, and leads to that great pressure inwardly, which leads to great dependence upwardly, and that great dependence gives us leverage. We have set our hope on him. 
This all happened that we may not rely on ourselves, but on him who raises the dead. God, the God of all comfort, is doing something in the church today, in your life today, in youth ministry today, to lengthen, lengthen and strengthen our faith. And he's comforting us every step of the way. He's spotting us, saying, man, I'm here with you in this. You can do this through Christ who strengthens you. I think of going through that window and almost dying, almost bleeding out in the back of that car with my grandma. She desperately looking for the ignition so she could drive me to the hospital, but she was literally shaking. And I didn't know if I was gonna make it. I was feeling woozy. When all of a sudden we heard a knock on the window of the car. And I looked out and it happened to be an African-American man there. And I lived in all Hispanic part of North Denver. I had never seen an African-American man in my life. And he said, roll down the window. And my grandma desperately rolled down the window. And he says, are you okay, ma'am? And she said, no, my grandson's gonna die. And I'm so nervous, I don't think I can drive. He went through a window. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, ma'am, would you please scoot over? And she scooted over. He got in the car, he took the key, found the ignition, turned the car on. He drove us to the hospital. He comforted us every step of the way. He sat in the ER waiting room while I got stitched up. And then he drove us back, encouraging us every step of the way. And in many ways, that man was my savior. And he was a picture of Jesus to me. You may feel like you're in the worst, most desperate of situation, but Jesus is there. He will comfort you. He will strengthen you. He will rescue you. He'll do the same for all your teens. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much that you are the God of all comfort. And then, Father, you've comforted us ultimately through the gospel, that we were dead in our sins, separated from you, but you sent your son to die the death that we deserved and then to be risen to life. And that by faith in him, not by deeds, good deeds, or going to church or living a good life, but by faith alone in your son, we have eternal life and eternal hope. And that hope starts now and lasts forever. And Father, I pray that this message of hope, of comfort, would comfort us at this time and that we would comfort our teenagers with the same comfort that we receive from you. Lord, may we know that you are using these crises and this pain in our life, this suffering, to scrub us clean, to conform us to the image of your Son, to be a witness to a watching world, and to strengthen and lengthen our faith so that we have leverage when we pray. Lord, we want to walk in faith and trust in you at this time. We want to be calming to our students who may be freaking out, and we want to encourage them that through Christ, they can do all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, that was great content from Greg, and, and honestly, a timely message. The times we're living in the midst of a global pandemic, uh, in the midst of racial tensions that have been kicked off by violence, and, and our students are feeling the pain, as Greg talked about. It's, it's a difficult season to do ministry. It's a difficult season to do life.
And so how do we move forward with a gospel response. I am joined today by a couple of good friends, Zane Black and Gerard Gunter. Uh, these guys are also speakers at Dare to Share Live and Lead the Cause, but I'm glad they're here today as we wrap up this conversation on this particular podcast because both of these men serve as youth leaders in the local church, and they're leading their churches through this, they're leading their students through this, uh, and both of them are in context and situations where this hits really close to home. And so Zane, you minister to church, Grace Church Eden Prairie, just outside of Minneapolis, which as we all know uh, is where George Floyd was murdered, mm. where a lot of this mm. kicked off and ignited um, the conversation, but a lot of anger and angst and hurt. Mm. And can you just share with us, being that close to it, how have you responded? How have you led your students, your church? How have you led yourself through this and how to respond to that? Yeah. Um, I feel like at first it took me back and I, I just, I think part of it for me was realizing that there were some things that I was blind to. Mm. And so it started actually a little bit for me with my students and, and our church just to be like, hey, what if we've missed some things and start with a posture of like, hey, what if, what if we've had a bit of naiveness to mm. something? Mm. Um, and then... And then I tried to learn, you know, and I wanted to model that for my students, whether it be on uh, Instagram or on social media, reaching out to my friends of color and asking them to speak into my life wow. uh, and wanted to model that again for our students to like, hey, let's let's listen and let's learn in this time. And then um, I think ultimately, yeah, you begin to see there was tension mm. and I just, you know, man, seeking the Lord, praying. Mm. And ultimately, I felt like the Lord brought me back to Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see God the Father and, and, and God the Son and the Holy Spirit dwelling in perfect unity and then creating man in that image to dwell in unity mm. and to say, man, what does it look like for us to seek that type of unity that we see in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Mm. That's what Jesus prays in John 7, right, 17. Right, John 17, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, man, yeah. that they may be one so yeah, that the man. world would know. Yeah. And um, so that's where, that's where we're starting. And for us, I was like, hey, I don't want this just to be a hashtag or yep. a three-week uh, thing, but this needs to change how we do ministry. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, the, the global pandemic of the coronavirus is not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, the reality is the, the racial tension in that conversation, uh, quite honestly, has, has probably had different levels of volume for decades or hundreds of years, mm. but it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And, and I think we've all kind of discussed, like, it's time to bring some resolution to that, right? Mm -hmm. And so, Gerard, you've had personal and ministry experience uh, where just a few years ago, some of the, the racial tension and violence and police brutality literally showed up on the front lawn of your church. Mm -hmm. And so how did that spark a movement within your youth ministry and what you all started with that? But even in recent events, how has that con amplified that? And how have you continued to respond and lead your students and your entire community and city in a gospel response to everything that's going on around us. Yeah, kind of like Zane said, just just trying to navigate, like really like leading well, like mm -hmm. during this time. I think people are really, I think all people, you know, are really still looking for answers and how to respond to this. And so, um, you know, like like a few years ago, um, uh, there was a black kid shot by a white police officer on the front lawn of our of our youth campus, and. Uh, just at a time where, where even in our nation, it was already just this, 
this this huge deal of of, of police brutality and um, and our city just really didn't know really know how to respond and Memphis um, you know the uh, assassination of, of Martin Luther King so so we're, it's already a racially divided you know city and so we recognized that there, there had to be some type of different response um, or we were going to see another you know kind of uprising and so uh, during that time we just began to mobilize our students uh, with prayer uh, mm-hmm. and just begin to challenge them that hey look um, you know, th- there's got to be a response. There's a first response, and then there's going to be a second response. The one, oftentimes, that we choose uh, physically is going to be kind of led by us, uh, but the one that God gives is kind of led by His Spirit. Um, and so we, we recognized that we wanted to choose that one. And so we began to mobilize students all over the city at different high schools. Um, and uh, it was funny, we were talking about this and just talking to some of those students, they would walk up and say, hey, I was at that prayer. I was at that, and I remember that. And uh, But but they, they began to mobilize and pray. And at, at one this one particular school, uh, over 400-something kids show up to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody takes out a phone, and, and, and it goes viral. Um, and it just put the display uh, of a different response on a display for our response. city, right, yeah. for our city, where oh, it could have been like this crazy issue. It was a moment, a movement really led by students to offer a response that was led by, by prayer. And I love Gerard, too, because it led by students, but initiated, you know, by, by leaders taking right, that right. opportunity to say, students want to to respond oh yeah there's a reaction you know the visceral i'm mad i'm angry but man how do we respond with a gospel response yeah. man it's just so cool that you guys have led that way and continuing even now yeah and yeah. partnering other churches i think this generation man uh, yeah. they want to be active and they yeah. need leaders to help guide them towards oh, yeah. that yeah yeah and, and we've and we've so so we've kind of continued that here with the you know the uprisings you know and it was crazy when that went down in minnesota was like yo zane is in He's in Minnesota, and and uh, just seeing you kind of put out and kind of how you were leading, you know, we decided that, man, like, uh, unfortunately, we're not new to this. And so um, we began to call and, and kind of mobilize. First, again, youth leaders and say, hey, man, are, are y'all ready? Are we going to just, is it time? And, and so we began to kind of mobilize. Uh, this time we called it uh, after the hashtag. Because we've mm-hmm. been here before, like we we've seen stuff happen in our nation, and we post for a couple minutes and post for a couple weeks, and then we're on to the next trend or the next thing. And so we said, like this time we're not. So after the hashtag, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna mobilize students after the hashtag is gone? After the protest? After the post? There has to be another long lasting response. We're good with making a point, but we want to make a difference. And so mm-hmm. we, we created that um, after the hashtag movement. And man, listen, man, youth leaders from all over just begin to jump on and say, like, man, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. And uh, here recently, this past Saturday, man, we had a, an amazing prayer walk. Uh, and protest. Uh, I think I think protest is important to recognize because protest is, is in the word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word protest actually means to testify, right? To tell of of, of what you're experiencing, to tell of what's mm-hmm. what's going on. So um, the protest in and of itself is needed, right? But we want to make sure that we have a, a response that is that is driven by God because we can keep that up. Right. We can't keep up the other one. Right. I think one of the things I appreciate about both of you, and I appreciate you sharing with our audience your hearts and your experiences, is both of you in leading a gospel response. It's been from a posture and position of humility. 
that don't have all the right answers. We're not going to respond the way the world does. We're mm. going to we're going to look at this through the lens of Jesus. And and our encouragement to all of you, you as youth leaders, as you're leading students, as you're leading in the church, uh, the the takeaway tip and tool, quite honestly, is to continue to have the conversation. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend like it's not happening. It's it's not going to go away. Uh, again, whether it's the pandemic, the racial tensions. It, we are living in difficult times and, and we need to embrace that reality. We need to help our students struggle well yeah. through this. Yeah. And I just want to remind our audience, we provide resources for every podcast episode, but they might be more critical with this episode and this season than ever before. We craft a discussion guide for you so that you can have this conversation with your volunteer staff team, with mm. your church staff team, with the parents of your students, with your students. And we also make Greg's notes available so that you can take this Make this message your own. I would highly encourage you, preach this sermon in the next few weeks. Like, Engage your students with this content and help them see crisis of every type is going to happen. We're never going to avoid that. We're never going to escape that. But how God wants to use us to strengthen our faith, to lead that gospel response, to proclaim his goodness and the gospel of his son Jesus Christ in the midst of this is the very message of hope that a world that is broken and hopeless needs. So take advantage of those resources. Continue to have this conversation. On behalf of Gerard and Zane and Greg and the whole team, we love you guys. We're praying for you. God bless you. Until every teen everywhere hears the gospel from a friend.